You're listening to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, episode 96, featuring special guest Janine DeVita of Broadway's Grease, Anything Goes, and The Mystery of Edwin Drood. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? This is Maggie Berra, and welcome to another episode of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, where I take you behind the scenes of the theater industry. The Actor Aesthetic Podcast is produced every single week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at actoraesthetic.com slash podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Actor Aesthetic, or join our Facebook group, the Actor Aesthetic Alliance. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get on to the show. Did you know that Actor Aesthetic has an online store? You can now search through the Actor Aesthetic shop to find downloadable cover letter samples, resume templates, audition journal spreadsheets, and hundreds of audition song suggestions categorized by voice type and genre. Level up your audition game and go to actoraesthetic.com shop. Well, hey, friends, thanks for joining me again this week on the Actor Aesthetic Podcast. This is a lovely episode with the incomparable Janine DeVita. Janine DeVita graduated from the University of Michigan with a double major in both musical theater and communications. Favorite credits include Broadway, Grease, Anything Goes, The Mystery of Edwin Drood, National Tours Finding Neverland, If Then, and Young Frankenstein. And she's also appeared in TV and on film in The Deuce, Elementary, Gravesend, and many, many more. But Janine's prowess goes way beyond entertainment. She co-wrote a screenplay called Sisters Before Misters, which is in development with Dolphin Entertainment, is the director of over 60 members of the USO show troupe, which entertains military and veterans all over the world, and co-founded Empowered Voices, which provides theatrical prevention education workshops specializing in sexual assault prevention and suicide prevention to the U.S. military. In today's episode, I chat with Janine about her training at the University of Michigan, her Broadway debut at 23 years old, the audition grind, survival jobs, moving to New York City, the USO show troupe, how she's coping in quarantine, and so much more. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat. Thank you, Janine, so much for joining us this week. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so can you please start off by telling us where you initially grew up and how you got involved in theater? Sure. So I am from Kansas City, from Overland Park, Kansas. It's a suburb outside of Kansas City on the Kansas side. I know there's a, everyone's like, well, the Kansas side or the Missouri side. I'm technically from both because my parents are divorced. So I grew up on both sides. Um, I, I was born in West Virginia. And my, when I was a toddler, my parents moved out to Kansas City. And I lived there until I went, went away to college. And I went to University of Michigan. And then I moved to New York. What was the process like for auditioning for schools? Was was this something that you always wanted to do? Did you always want to go and pursue a degree in musical theater or was it sort of a, a last minute thing? 
For me, it was very last minute. Yeah. Um, so both my parents are attorneys. Okay. So like <laughs> last minute. <laughs> yeah. It was very last minute. Like it, to me, it was just, it was never thought of as a career. It was something that I always enjoyed. I always did it. It was something I could, you know, throw myself into and, you know, improve upon and learn. And I always just loved it so much. Um, and it was always a really awesome escape for me. Like, like I mentioned, my parents are divorced. And so like, there was a time period in my life where it was just like really stressful and there was a lot of angst going on at home. And so I always found that, you know, theater and singing was always where I uh, like found an escape in a way. And, um, but the thought of it being a career was just not even a thought mm -hmm. in my mind. It was always like, a, oh, wouldn't that be nice? But like <laughs> only crazy people do that. And um, so I actually applied for um, schools just academically and um, was going to go into journalism. I wanted to be a journalist. That was like what mm -hmm. I wanted to do. And then I remember my senior year, it was fall of senior year. So anybody who's applying for colleges knows that that's so last minute. That's the time to start applying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the time when you already have your list. You like know what's going on. And I remember it was like the beginning of September or something and or the, like the end of August. And I saw a production of Songs for a New World at um, the Repertory Theater at um, UMKC, which is the University of Missouri, Kansas City. And they had a great theater program there. And I saw a production of Songs for a New World. And I grew up singing... Rogers and Hammerstein, mm. you know, uh, Lerner and Lowe. I was very much a soprano. And the only songs that I knew, uh, really knew, or shows that I knew or had done that were contemporary were just things I, I hadn't ever even really done a contemporary show at that point. It was only classic wow. shows. But then I'd sung stuff. I'd sung like Jekyll and Hyde and I'd sung like Aida stuff and things like that. But I'd never really sung Jason Robert Brown stuff and I didn't really know it at all. And um, I saw this production and it changed my life. Like mm -hmm. I'll never forget it. I was just so um, inspired and moved by his music and by how immediate the, the concept was and how spirited everything was and contemporary. And I just remember thinking, and it sounds so cheesy, but the song I'm Not Afraid of Anything like mm -hmm. really got to me. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go for it. I was like, I'm only going to audition for these three schools or these four schools. And um, if I don't get into those schools, I'm just going to be like, okay, wasn't meant to be. Mm. And that was really my mentality because I knew that I had other things to offer in this world beyond singing and beyond acting and stuff like that. And I knew it would always be a part of my life, but there are always other things that I knew I could do. So I ended up uh, auditioning last minute and um, at Michigan, you're able to double major. And yeah. so I was able to do a double major there, which was a really big selling point for me. Plus I just love the program and I uh, love the campus once I went there, but I didn't actually decide I was going to Michigan until uh, the freshman orientation. <laughs> Like, I'm a crazy person. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. Because I, I had a full ride to University of Kansas. Oh, my gosh. And it, it's a state school. But, like, I still had a full ride there. So mm. I was like, oh, what should I do? What should I do? And, um, you know, I was really lucky that, you know, my parents were willing to, you know, like, get me through. My mom got me through. And my dad helped. And we uh, just figured it out. And, you know, I was graduated with a ton of student loans. <laughs> but that's just 
how the cookie crumbles. What was it like uh, double majoring in both communications and musical theater? Um, what was it like? It was yeah. really, really busy. I just, I mean, I love, I'm a, I, I like being busy. That's just kind of who I am. And um, Corona has been interesting because I've had to really relax a lot, but uh, <laughs> it was really busy, but I really enjoyed it because I felt like I was doing all that I could to get the most that I could out of the experience. I really felt like I was doing everything I could. I joined a sorority. I, you know, was very involved in all the productions. I, mm, you know, you were really busy I, then. Yeah. Really, really busy. And um, I still went to the football games and did all that stuff, but it was, it was really busy. And I took classes over the summer, um, a couple yeah. summers to get in everything. So um, busy. I would just say it was busy. It was busy. <laughs> I, I, I can't say that I had like a ton of fun and I wish that I had made that a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely had fun at like some of the parties and things like that, but it, I don't know. I was very focused, very, very mm-hmm. focused. After you graduated, what was your next step? Did you go to New York City? Did you have a show already or did you go back home first? Um, I didn't have any money. And so like I had <laughs> no <does>? money. All I had <laughs> was a ton of student loans. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I, um, I, I ended up winning an award when I graduated that gave me um, a little over $5,000. Wow. Yeah. I won the Alan Eisenberg Award, the Actors' Equity Award. It was the first year that oh Alan, my. he's the former president of Actors' Equity and a Michigan alum. And he's to this wow. day a dear friend of mine, mentor of mine. I love him so much. He's such a good person and so smart. And um, so I ended up winning this award. Uh, and I also won the Earl V. Earl v. Moore Award at Michigan because I, I was the first person, the first um, person to star in a, a straight theater production um, that opened up the Arthur Miller Theater, so it was kind of a big deal. Oh, and yeah. so I ended up getting those awards. So I actually ended up having money to move because I was I literally was just going to work at Willowbrook Mall at the Lancome counter that summer, <laughs> and then move in the fall. Like that was yeah. my that was my plan because so I was like I need I want to stay in Ann Arbor. I want to just earn money and move when I can. You know. So I wanted to get there as soon as possible. So I didn't want to go and do a show because I, I ended up signing with a manager and or mm. with, with, um, with an agent. And so I wanted to just get to the city as soon as I could. Mm. So um, anyway, I was able to move pretty quickly after I graduated because I had the funds to do so. That's I wouldn't amazing. Have, I wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise because I just didn't have any money. Yeah. And um, and that's just a reality. <laughs> that, I mean, that seems to be the you norm. Know? Every single person I talk to, for the most part, unless you have a show lined up, God forbid, you know, a summer stock show or something, then, you know, you, you typically are working a survival job to, to save up, to move to the city. Yeah. And that's yeah. just that. When you came to the city, can I ask, had you been to the city before? I came to the city one time before for... Um, straw hat audition yeah for for a straw hat audition for Uh one day and (laughs) I stayed with my friend Nina whose parents lived in Westchester so I didn't stay in the city I just took the train in auditioned and then went back out to Westchester and then the other time I came to the city I came with my college boyfriend and stayed in a hotel um we got our headshots done oh wow and that was it and that was it that was it so what was the experience like coming to Newark? Did you, I, I love asking this question because 
you know, it's not talked about enough when it, when it comes to, you know, apartment hunting and subletting and, you know, all there, of that stuff. Like, I'm what so was your process? I'm so glad that you're talking about it because I really think that it's so important to talk about the lifestyle of an actor, how you yes. make it work, <laughs> all of that stuff, because it, it impacts your work. It impacts how you are in the room. It impacts your energy. It impacts mm-hmm. your mental well-being. It's so important. Um, so when I first moved to the city, it's a little crazy. Oh, no. I got sublets. I, I basically lived in every single neighborhood for Amazing. like a couple weeks. I subletted from friends in all different neighborhoods. Luckily with Michigan, there's a really awesome network of people. So mm-hmm. I had a built-in network which in, of alums and everybody is so supportive of one another. So uh, I was able to like get sublets and things. I actually was able to, oh my gosh, my first, my first month, I was actually able to stay for free down in the West oh. Village. Lois Schwartz, who has since passed away, she had this amazing apartment down in the West Village and these two like huge fat cats. <laughs> and she just wanted people, someone to watch her cats. Amazing. And you could stay there for a month and watch her cats. Now I'm allergic to cats, like severely. But I was like, whatever, it's free. I want to save my money. And so I and two of my friends from college, Andrew Arrington and Steven Sposito, we stayed in that apartment for a month and had a ball. Okay. It was, it was down on Jane Street, this beautiful apartment, beautiful neighborhood. That mm. was my first intro to living in New York. So I was super, super spoiled. Mm. I was like, oh, it's not that hard. It's just the West Village and rent is free. <laughs> like, like... <laughs> You lucky, lucky girl. So that was my first (laughs) month. And then I, and that's when I started doing my whole like tour of New York subletting. Okay. I lived in uh, Midtown West in a room in a, in an apartment with Stephen Copel, the casting director. I lived in his second bedroom. I subletted from a friend, Maggie Kensler, and the room had no windows. So that was cool. But it was a great little place. It was right in Midtown West, so you could walk anywhere. And um, then I lived on the Upper West Side on an air mattress. Then I lived up in Inwood. Then I lived Mm. in Washington Heights. And we ended up getting an apartment, um, my friends and I, about two months after I moved to the city in Washington Heights. Okay. And so that's where I... It was like Washington Heights, Harlem area, like 169th Street. Mm-hmm. Um, the area was not nice at all, but we had a gorgeous, gorgeous, like huge five bedroom apartment, two oh. bath, like gorgeous. I had my own private bathroom. Oh my um, gosh. I lived with my college boyfriend, so we split the rent. So my rent was like, I don't know, like $250, $300. Oh. <laughs> Like so stupid cheap. Um, but, but like I said, the neighborhood was not, not good at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but between the five of us living there, six of us living there, like the rent was just so cheap. So you couldn't beat it. And um, anyway, so that's where I ended up living when I first moved here. And um, mm-hmm. I didn't know where anything was. I thought that Uptown was a place, not a direction. So I would get on any train that just said Uptown, thinking it was going where I needed to go. <laughs> All the while, I was, like, working random jobs, mm-hmm. you know. like What I kind was, of jobs were you working in the meantime? I catered. I did these um, – I worked for this company called Model Bartending, where you basically um, – I don't bartend, but it was, like, catering, but it was, like, themed. Oh. So you would, like, dress – like, I did one that was, like, a Moulin Rouge themed, and they, like, oh used my hair out to here. They gave me, like, a costume, and you're, like, passing out hors d'oeuvres, and, like, Kate Bosworth walks by, and you're, like, what is my <laughs> life? Um, so <laughs> – uh, so that was in the, uh, yeah, so I did like these random, random gigs and, um, 
I actually used my communications degree to work in a showroom, a, a fashion showroom. Incredible. So, yeah. So I told them I wasn't auditioning and I was just focusing on communications mm. and that side of my degree. And meanwhile, mm. on my lunch breaks, I would run over to Ripley Greer and whatever. <laughs> like I would sign up for like, like, so I had an agent, so I would get appointments and I would just be like, can you, can you like do it over lunch? Like the lunchtime time so I would just run over because it, it was right in Midtown in the fashion district like on 37th street and 7th and so like I would just hop on over to Ripley or hop on over to Pearl or whatever like do my audition and I'd be back and I'd be like oh lunch was great <laughs> oh my leftovers. gosh and <laughs> um so I did that for a while um and they were really awesome and then I ended up booking a show at the York Theater so mm-hmm. I, uh, I booked a show at the York Theater. It was like a two and a half week contract. And so I quit um, that job okay. at the showroom. And then uh, the day that that closed, I found out that I booked The Tale of Two Cities at a town oh. tryout. So um, I was really only in the city for like two and a half months, two months, mm-hmm. hopping around, doing that whole thing. And then I um, booked, a, booked that York gig and then um, A Tale of Two Cities. You said also that you had an agent were you also going to open calls as well yeah 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 so I went to everything so yeah. before I would head to like my day job which started at nine I would get in line early sign up for the EPA or get my name on the list were you equity it. at this point was yeah yes, so I was good. super lucky I got my equity card at the muni when I was a sophomore Amazing. Um, yeah. So it, like, I was really like, so fortunate the way I moved to the city. I don't know if I would have stuck it out had I not had those things, to be honest. It really because helps. It's really hard. It's mm-hmm. really hard. I hear about people waiting all day. It's like, I just don't know how you're supposed to get a survival job. Like how you're supposed to, like, I, I don't know if I would have had the tenacity and the patience for that, to be honest. My hat is off to any actor who is really sticking it out that way. My hat is off to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I would, I would get up early, I would sign up and then I would go to my day job, go do the audition, like over the lunch period if I could. And then I would come back and that was that. So that was, that was kind of my life for the, you know, the two and a half months when I first moved to the city. Um, hmm. But then of course, you know, Tale of Two Cities closes and then I get back to the city and, um, you know, I'm without a job you know, wondering if they're going to keep me for the Broadway production. It's like so stressful because you're like, are they going to keep me? Are they going to cut me? Like, uh, you know, you're like, yeah, you're in like this holding pattern. You're in the holding pattern because you don't know who they're going to keep from the out of town. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's just something that I, I really want to tell young actors too. Like just because you're part of the out of town, it does not mean you're moving with it to Broadway. Mm. And that's just a reality that you have to be okay with. Like just take it one step at a time, because if you get too if you get too ahead, you, it just causes so much anxiety. And that was definitely the place I was living in. I was just mm. living in this anxiety ridden place, thinking that you know, my life depended on whether or not I was kept in this production. And so for the four months where I was back in the city, it's winter. It's my first winter in the city. We all know winter is the most depressing thing in the world in New York. January, <laughs> February, like the worst. The worst, the worst. And so I'm waiting tables, um, waiting tables and teaching uh, during, I would be teaching like during the day and then I'd be waiting tables. And then I would sometimes work the cocktail hour, like the, like the, 
like the time it would turn into a club. I was like a cocktail waitress. So at like 10 o'clock, the restaurant I worked at uh, called Public House, it would turn into a club. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I'd be like walking around with like, my cocktails, like, okay, kill me. And <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. So not a club person. Uh-huh. And, um, but anyways, so you just, I was just like, I was just not in a happy place, you know, because I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. And yet I was still like so anxious about, you know, being kept in this production and whatever. Um, and then lo and behold, I booked Rizzo in Greece. And this was your Broadway debut, correct? Mm-hmm, it was. And you were what? You were, had to have been 23? I was 23. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what was the, uh, talk me through the audition process. For this um, sure. Well, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I initially auditioned for the casting director mm-hmm. and then I auditioned for Kathleen Marshall, director. Amazing. Love her. And then I had another audition for Kathleen and then I auditioned for the um, creative team and the producers. Mm-hmm. And that's how that went. And each time I was so nervous, but I also knew it was my role. Like, I don't know how else to, to like describe that. I just like, I knew it was mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I could bring something to it. I like, you know, I know it's Greece, but like I really related to Rizzo and like, you know, how defensive she is and how damaged she is and how angry she is. And, you know, because she's just that teenage angst and all that stuff. So I, uh, I like related to that. And um, yeah. So, and you know, it's funny because I, I don't know if I would have believed that it was a part for me until my friend, I told my friend I had this audition and he was like, oh, you would make a great Rizzo. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I would. You always need that one, you just the one person that to that one say person it. and his mm-hmm. name is Jake Wilson. He's, he's gone off to do amazing things. Uh-huh. And I went, he was a, my classmate at Michigan. And um, anyway, he really just gave me that little like boost of confidence that made me like really own it that I could actually like play this role. Mm-hmm. And, um, cause I always feel, cause the thing is like, she's a teenager and I always thought of myself so as so much older than all my peers. Mm. And I always thought of myself as just so much older. And so I didn't think it was like possible for me to play Rizzo, but Rizzo's the old soul. What was your experience? Like making a Broadway debut so young was the, was the cast relatively young as well? Yeah, everybody was young, and a lot of people were making their Broadway debuts as well. Oh, amazing! Um, but I was, a, but I was a replacement. Okay, so okay. I replaced Jenny Powers. So mm-hmm. I was, um, I think, the second replacement um, in in the company. So everyone was really like nice and welcoming and everything. They definitely did um, a hazing period with me, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> where I for, they um, what was it? Oh, it was a. Uh, the girls in my dressing room, they like, I forget what it was about exactly, but Kristen Wyatt and Robin Herter, they, they played, and Lindsay Mendez, like the pink ladies, like they did mm-hmm. like a little like amazing thing with me. They played some trick on me, making me believe something about Allison Fisher, that something was going on with her. And I was like, oh my gosh, like really? And then like two days later, they're like, we're just kidding. And I was like, oh, they're like, like we got to haze you a little bit, you know, Aww. like joining the pink ladies. <laughs> Um, it was really fun though. Um, but I mean, I, like I said, I was a super anxious person back then, like wanting everything to be like perfect and like scared of my own shadow almost that I, um, like it just took everything I did so seriously. Yeah. And so I didn't have anybody invited to my Broadway debut. (laughs) 
<laughs> my roommate at the time was like, Janine, you cannot make your Broadway debut and no one be in the audience for you. So not a soul came because you were like, do not come. My roommate came. Of course. <laughs> Alexandra Brock came. She was like, but she didn't tell me she was coming until uh-huh. like she showed up. She was there at the stage door. And she was like, Janine, I'm not going to let you make your Broadway debut and no one be here. But I wanted it to be perfect. I, I was like, fine with people coming like three days later. But oh like God. the day itself, I was like, no, no, no. Just let me just concentrate. Just like get it out of the way. Let me just do it. You know, it's, it was like being shot out of a cannon almost, you know? And, um, you know, so I, and, and now it's like, I'm, I was so spoiled by that because I've done, you know, a lot of covering and understudying since then too. But my Broadway debut uh, was really, really special, awesome. And it opened up a ton of doors for me. It gave me a ton of confidence. Um, I hate to say that because I wish that I had the confidence prior to that. But unfortunately, and fortunately, like having that role under my belt and also the role itself gave me a lot of confidence. Like mm-hmm. Rizzo's just such a confident chick and just really just beats to the, you know, goes to the beat of her own drum. And um, that really was inspiring to me as, as a person, as a young woman, that was very inspiring to me. So she taught me a lot, a lot about myself and, and how I can be fearless on stage and try new things and everything. So it was a really, really good exercise for me as an actress and as a, as a young individual. And then you mentioned that you've done a lot of covering and understudying. I know that you understudied Idina Menzel in If Then. I did, yeah. I did. No pressure, right? Yeah, no Um, pressure at all. (laughs) No pressure at all. (laughs) Um, She's awesome, and I've always been a huge fan of her. So, like, just the chance I get to, you know, be in the same room with her is amazing. But that was an interesting um, job because – an interesting show for me because I also played Anne. So I was playing a principal role. Yeah. I was playing the Jen Colella role. Like, I was a principal – um, but at the same time, I was covering the starring role. I was covering wow. Medina. So um, I didn't really have any time to like sit off stage and watch. It was, I was in the show with her playing a role myself and all that stuff. So it's like, it, uh, it, that, was, that was a lot. It was, honestly, it was a lot of material to learn. Um, the good thing about all that is that I really, really loved the material. Like mm-hmm. I just loved the character. I loved the whole concept of different paths that we choose. And I just love Tom's music and, I, and lyrics. I love Brian Yorkie's music and lyrics. I, I just love everything about it. And I loved the way Michael directed it. But I felt really, really proud of myself and accomplished and fulfilled having done both of those things, you know, having played Anne, which is its own, you know, character with her own story. Its and own beast. It's its yeah. own beast. Yeah you know, and playing opposite LaShawn's and to my regret, mm. like it was such a gift. And then, and then to get to step into, you know, Elizabeth and Liz's shoes every Tuesday, because um, <laughs> Adina would go back um, to be with her son on Tuesdays. And oh, wow. I would go on um, pretty much every Tuesday while she was with the show. I knew that I knew I could do the, like, it wasn't the role. It wasn't the material. Yeah. It was just that I knew in the audience that people came to see her and that's so that that was tough for me but at the same time though I knew I could bring something to that character and because you really root for those characters because they go through so much the audience really does root for you as the understudy in that role because it it adds like an element of like more struggle you know yeah and so like they do the I found that they I really really rooted for me which was really Mm. cool 
you have experience both on stage and on screen. So what's your work like? How does it differ between approaching something in the theater and approaching something on film? That's a really good question. Um, I feel like, I feel like in the theater, um, self-indulgence is kind of uh, frowned upon in a way. Mm -hmm. It's always about being active and about the other and listening and all that, all that stuff. And not that that isn't important on film, but on film, it's such a visual medium that they actually need to see you emote. They need to see you feel what you're feeling and you need to express that. And it needs to really live and be alive in mm -hmm. you and not, and I find that I find there's a lot of freedom in that because you really can do anything that feels right to you in the moment. Um, that even self-indulgence that may feel self-indulgent on, on stage um, because, because it, because with film, it's so visual and it's so honed in on you <laughs> when it's you. Um, whereas on stage, it's like, there's, you, there's an expansive stage. So um, you have, there's an element of like filling the space and all that stuff. Like there's still an element of honesty, but the mediums are just very, very different. Mm -hmm. So um, like I found when I was shooting the deuce, my first take that I would do of my scenes, the director was like, okay, Janine, you're too big. Like, this is like, you're not playing, <laughs> you're not playing on a stage. You're in a living room, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's, point, it's, it's a shift. It's a shift. It's a total shift. And so that's just something I've come to kind of, know about myself because I'm trained in the theater that mm -hmm. you know my first thing with film is always a little too big so I know that I know that I just need to it feels like you're doing nothing but what you're really doing is just being super super honest with what with what's going on inside of you I know that you're so trained in theater did you take any classes or did you train with anyone outside of school for mm -hmm. film and TV? Um, no, I, I actually took, I've taken some really wonderful classes in the city um, and I, I would, I'm happy to promote them. They're really amazing. So this, the acting studio I'm with is called Scott Freeman and um, I've taken, he offers lots of different classes in his studio, but I've taken his scene study classes, which I love just to keep your skills sharp when you're in between. Mm -hmm. um, but then on camera wise, I've taken with Bob, Bob Krakauer several yeah. times. He's amazing. Um, he gave me such confidence to be on screen. He really did. He was like, Janine, you don't have to do anything. Just, 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 just don't do just anything. Be. Just be. It gave me such confidence. Um, it's funny, people along the way, they just, you know, say these things to you. And then, um, and then my coach right now is Ted Slabersky. So whenever I have anything on camera to prep for, or if I'm, if I'm cast in something and I have a role I need to prep for, for on camera, um, I always go to him. I even sometimes go to him for stage work because mm -hmm. he's just so, he's so wonderful about getting inside the character and the world of the play, the world of the piece. Um, he is really awesome. He's Rachel Brosnahan's coach as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, he's just a really, really awesome, awesome coach, really cool guy. And uh, so he's who I coach with now, Ted Slavarski. Amazing. I'll, I'll find the links for those and put them in the show notes so that sure. people know, because I think that's really important, especially for someone that, you know, who might be listening, who's just so trained in theater. Um, there's an, a whole other world out there that oh, yeah. lots oh, yeah. of us don't, know, don't, you know, don't have the training in. So I think that's really important. Thank yeah, you for sharing those. For sure. And um, one other person I do want to talk about, though, is um, a lot of times we're asked to do dialects as well. And mm -hmm. I think some people feel lost in terms of like where to start with it. I have a really great dialect coach. Her name is Susan Cameron. 
Okay. And so, cause I, a lot of times for the work I'm do, I do, I am asked to do some kind of an accent, whether it be Italian, New York, you know, I just did a reading that was French, you know, so like there's mm. um, a lot of different ones and she really just gives you the confidence to, and she's so, so, so smart. She's like, she's written books and everything. So um, mm. she's really great for that stuff as well. Amazing. Thank you for that. Sure. I have to ask because, you know, it's day to day for me, at least it's, a great day and then it's an awful day. How are you coping in quarantine? Like, were you in any shows or did you have any contracts coming up that stopped? So no, I wasn't in a show. I did mm-hmm. have some concert gigs lined up. Yeah. And I had a teaching gig lined up uh, at Bucknell University. So that, but they were just one-offs, you know, it wasn't like a long-term contract, mm-hmm. but all of my concerts and all of my teaching gigs were canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, and well, I also have a film that's in development right now that's been optioned and Leah Thompson's directing it. And we wow. were supposed to be going into production this summer. Um, and so everything has been paused because of Corona. So I have been affected in, you know, many ways work wise, but I wasn't mm-hmm. uh, in a show that was okay. canceled. I can't imagine my heart just goes out to people who were in shows or we're about to open a show. I know what that's like <laughs> to have so much hard work and dedication in your heart and soul goes into something and then to not be able to go. It, it's just, it's really awful. So uh, my heart breaks for all of my friends who had to go through that. Um, mm. So my, my experience was, I was affected, but not to the degree that a lot of my friends were. So um, in, in that regard, I'm really lucky. I also run the USO show troupe. Yeah. So um, we have, obviously live performances have stopped, but we've been able to shift things digitally. So I mean, it's nowhere near how busy we would be in the summer months with all of the patriotic holidays, Memorial Day, you know, July 4th, Labor Day weekend coming up and then Veterans Day. We're nowhere near how busy the troupe normally is. Like normally we do 200 performances a year. Wow. Yeah. And it's cut down dramatically because of COVID. Like we're not really able to do anything live. But um, mm. I'm trying to keep the show troupe engaged through digital performances, still providing you know, entertainment to our military all over the world, um, especially in the tri-state area. That's our main focus. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's thinking creatively and trying to stay engaged during this time and stay connected. It's, uh, it's definitely a challenge. Like you said, some days are great. Some days really suck. And sometimes it's hard to get motivated because you don't really have anywhere to go. And so you're like, okay, it's, it's really like, it's really relying on the fire within you. Like a lot of, a lot of what this has been, has been really getting in touch with your own inner strength. Mm. So it's, it's a weird, weird time. (laughs) It is a weird time to say the least. Yeah. You mentioned the USO group. Uh, How did you initially get involved with that? I have a company called Empowered Voices that I started mm-hmm. when I was doing If Then, actually. Okay. Um, I co-founded it with a friend of mine who is a prevention education specialist for the military. And she'd mm-hmm. been trying to get theater into the military for a really long time and wasn't really having much luck because uh, she really thought theater would be a great tool to teach prevention education, specifically sexual assault prevention and suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. And she, we met actually at the stage door when I was doing If Then. And she's like, hey, I went to your website. Um, you know, I'd love to like go to get coffee with you. And I'm like, sure, whatever. I mean, if the one thing if then taught me, it was literally just to be open to things and yeah. just be like, why not? Like, let's see where it goes, you know? And I've really tried to live my life like that since then. It really taught me a lot. And mm-hmm. so um, 
anyway, so I said, yeah. And so we got to talking and she's like, I'd really like to bring you in and have you facilitate a workshop that focuses on sexual assault prevention. You would write the script. So we came up with like this whole curriculum um, uh, for this whole program that we do. So we work with a small group first, um, who are my volunteer actors and they're actually active duty. And so they get to like get all the benefits of like what an acting class is like, which is really (laughs) cool to see like these soldiers, you know, Mm -hmm. like act and read lines and stuff like that. And also like throw out ideas. Like they're so, they're such creative, innovative thinkers, you know, Mm. that's what they have to do. And so they're really, really good at it. And then we went and then we um, performed the skit that I write. I wrote it. It's like a 20 minute, um, Thing. And it's, be- it's based on the theory of ethnodrama, which is the same as chorus line, where it's like basically like real life situations that you dramatize. And so we interviewed people on that base of like what was going on. So it's like pertinent mm-hmm. topics and things like that. Wow. So we incorporated all those into the script. And then the next day we did it for about um, 1,200 soldiers. We presented this. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then at the end, we opened it up and it's a forum based kind of learning uh, where people would talk back to us how things could have gone differently. We'd have people come up and reenact things. So it's a totally different way of learning. So I started getting hired. So long story short, I started getting hired by the DOD, the Department of Defense, to teach these prevention education workshops. Mm-hmm. So when the USO position opened up, um, we have family friend, our family friend of ours, my husband's family is the chairman of the board at the USO. And so he was like, would you ever consider uh, applying for this position? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, (laughs) I was like, again, again, another thing where I was like, yes, why not? Uh And so I applied and I went through the whole interview process, but um, I ended up getting hired, I think because of my performing experience, obviously, and you know what I do. Um, but also because I had experience with our audiences, like yeah. our, we performed for our military and I had experience actually going around to the different military bases, performing myself for them, mm-hmm. you know, in a different capacity, but, um, you know, giving these presentations and things. And so I've been able to step into this leadership position at the USO, um, producing this content for them, um, which is totally not something I in, saw myself doing, but now that I'm doing it, I've really grown into the role and I really, really enjoy it because it feels like I'm actually like creating something that, that needs to be created. I also come from a military family. Like my two uncles served in Vietnam. It's just always been very important to me that our military community, our servicemen and women feel appreciated because I think that that could really offset, you know, all of the awful things that happen when they return to civilian life where they don't Mm -hmm. feel welcome back. You know, there's a lot of PTSD, there's a lot of depression, a lot of drug use. And Mm -hmm. I think that the more we can bridge the gap between community and our military, the more we can bridge that gap, I think the more we can lessen the risk of those things happening. Just thank you for that work. I think that's so important. Honestly, it's it's, it's the least I can do. And it's, but it, it is work I'm really proud to do. So yeah, That's I actually awesome. just ended up running a 5K today for, uh, <laughs> we're doing, we're doing a, the Battle of the Branches. <laughs> just please, very I am casual. Not a, please, I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner at all. I was, I was like, I don't love it. A runner please, would I'm, say, I'm, I just ran a 5 you know, I just ran a 5K. No, it, I, it, it was, no, I, I, it was like, I ran, I run like an 11 minute mile girl. I'm not fast. <laughs> <laughs> when I say run, I mean jog. It's raising money for the COVID-19 relief effort. All of our military in the Tri-State area has been activated, you know, trying to help with the COVID-19 relief. We have a mm-hmm. huge sector right now that's on mortuary duty, which is 
unfortunately having to collect bodies that are, you know, have died from the COVID-19. It's just like awful what's going mm. on. So anyway, I'm just trying to stay engaged and feel purposeful and like we all are. My last question for you is sure. if you could give one piece of advice to someone who's an aspiring performer looking to pursue a career in the entertainment and theater industry, what would you say? Go for it. Yeah. That's what I say. I just say, go for it. If it ends up not working out or you change your mind, fine. And that's totally okay. That's totally okay. But you don't want to look back and think, what if I never tried? Mm. That's my biggest, that's my biggest piece of advice. I know things are really hard right now and you don't know when the theater is going to be coming back and whatever, but keep your skills sharp, you know, research, watch things, think about other ways you can be a performer and all of that while all this madness is going on, you know, you know, we are creative people and artists need to be heard. I mean, I really, we are the change makers. We are the voices of reality. We are what's, I, I, I think that if you have the desire to be a performer, to be an artist, then you need to go for it because there's something inside you that's telling you that, and that needs to be honored. Mm. And, you know, artists are so resilient. And- oh, I think there's nobody better, honestly. I I wish we weren't in this position, but I don't think there's anybody who can handle change and challenge and rejection and being kicked down and spit on more than actors. I love what you're doing with this podcast. I think it's just really awesome. And I think it's just a really awesome resource for, for people to go to and just feel connected and feel inspired and, and also just get like real advice. Like, like advice usable. Yeah. It's advice that I wish I had, you know? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I wish I had too. I wish I had too. I I was so naive. Like I didn't know anything, even though I went to school for it and I got a degree and whatever it was. It's all like the life stuff. Yes. Like I know, I knew exactly what to do on stage. It's just the life stuff. Yeah. And that's the stuff that, you know, you learn with age, you learn with time, but, um, you know, I think it's really great that there are all these resources now that can maybe um, bridge the gap. Help with bridge the gap. Yeah, just kind of help yeah. with that a little bit more. Bridge that. Well, thank you, Ginny, so much for for sharing your wisdom, and I look forward uh. to talking soon. <laughs> <laughs> all right, bye, girl. If you've enjoyed today's episode and you found it helpful, I would love it if you could screenshot it, tag at Actor Aesthetic, and share it to your Instagram stories so that I can see who is following along with me there. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and also hit that subscribe button so that you can join me every single week for a brand new episode of the Actor Aesthetic podcast. Until then, this is Maggie Barra signing off. It takes a village. I'll see you next week.